But first, our top story takes us to the world of earnings reports, where Uber Freight announced yesterday some interesting numbers. John Kingsis joins us more to talk about it. John, welcome, sir. Hey, doing, everybody? Doing good to see you, Thomas. Good, good to see you, Kaylee. Good to see you as well, John. Let's jump right into it for Uber Freight's earnings numbers. What we're going to be <laughs> expecting is a little different than what we've seen for some of these other companies, and honestly, not super great, right? No, and you know, the Uber Freight's very tough because there's no peer company. I mean, how do you compare a company that was a digital brokerage, then went out and bought, uh, then went out and bought Transplace, which is really like a shipper transportation management system, and put that combination together? There's nothing really to compare it to. Now, it just should be noted that Uber Freight did make layoffs a couple of weeks ago, about 150 jobs, which they said was about three percent of the workforce, and they said that was all from the digital brokerage. So that's kind of like the legacy Uber Freight operations, which suggests that the transplace business, the legacy transplace business was probably doing okay, that it didn't get hit with any. So of course, these earnings are not like final net income earnings the way they are because Uber Freight is buried in with the overall Uber earnings. And um, so yeah, it showed a downturn in revenue. It uh, showed that their EBITDA, which is really the the prime measurement for them, went negative uh, after being uh, slightly positive in the third quarter. So really, it, at this point, you kind of almost want to look at them sequentially rather than year to year. Year over year, they kind of did better than last year, but year over year, you know, they were just taking on transplace. So yeah, I mean, it was it was not a good quarter. Um, their their revenue was down, uh, which suggests that that's not really surprising because uh, their revenue is going to be on the brokerage side, a haircut from every deal they book. And we know that the value of those deals was going to be a lot lower, given that the size of the invoices uh, they would have booked was lower. So, I mean, not really a shocker, nothing really to move the Uber stock, because the Uber stock is always going to be moved overwhelmingly by uh, uh, by the what they call the mobility business, which, of course, is moving humans rather than freight. So I guess it wasn't a shocker, but it does kind of show that uh, the Transplace acquisition uh, isn't enough to, to make them EBITDA positive. They're going to have to do it also on the digital brokerage side. Do you think that the Transplane's acquisition was maybe the anchor to keep them alive? And if they hadn't have done that, maybe they possibly could have fallen off. If we if we see earnings results like this and knowing that the Transplace numbers were enough to just keep them anchored, do you think that without that, it would have been lights out for Uber Freight? I don't think so, because let's let's remember that. It, it's funny you mention that because there was a, an earn, Uber Freight almost never comes up on the Uber earnings call, but it came up um, and it came up this time quite a bit. But uh, there was a there was a question about a year and a half ago by some analyst who said, "Does Uber Freight really fit in with what you're doing?" And uh, the response was, "Yes, it does." And like within weeks, they'd taken like a, a new five hundred million dollar investment from private equity. That was certainly going to keep them alive. Um, that actually took place. I think that took place before they announced the Transplace acquisition. So they had a, a pretty big shot of funding uh, prior to uh, that. Look, there's you know we know the digital brokerage. And digital booking is the way to go, whether it's a company like Convoy or whether it's an established company like J.B. Hunt, uh, C.H. Robinson. They're all sinking lots of money. Uh, if you were going to make a comparison between Uber Freight and anybody, it would be C.H. Robinson, uh, obviously, which is a, a, you know, a publicly traded brokerage company. They had a terrible quarter. I didn't cover it. Uh, Mark Solomon did. But RxO, which I think is certainly a C.H. Robinson peer, from I just really kind of looked at the headlines. They had a very good quarter. So... Uh, you know, kind of a mixed bag here. It's, it's, I'd say RxO really is the more interesting story that could, they could do that well, uh, given what a tough freight quarter it was. 
And shifting gears a little bit onto the fuel front, uh, looking at the DOE numbers as well, this is uh, the first week that we're seeing uh, the EU sanctions going to affect on Russian uh, diesel. What are some of your early impressions and thoughts so far with this data? Well, I'm kind of surprised at the, the diesel market weakness. Diesel has actually been weaker than crude now, which is, as you know, that's the, the number that I like to look at. Uh, diesel is obviously going to always fall or rise, mostly with the overall trends in crude, but the spread to crude is, is extremely important too. And that spread has been narrowing pretty consistently now for, for a couple of weeks. I don't know why. I think the diesel market still has some structural issues to it. Uh, I think that... Um, I think that first of all, the jet market is really high, so you can you can start that. You would imagine that that diesel that diesel production might be morphed into jet production because the jet is the better market. Um, inventories are really tight; they're not as tight as they were back in the fall when we talked about that. But they're still compared to historic norms, they're pretty tight. We had a pretty good EIA inventory report yesterday. Stocks built more than two million barrels in the U.S. That's a good number. Refinery runs were up. That's good. Uh, but I'm not sure that I fully get why diesel's been so bearish. Uh, yeah, the winter is obviously a very big reason. Winter as a factor in diesel, I, I think it's over here. You know, on, on February, was it February 9th? Uh, you've done most of the heating. Whatever you're going to need to heat from now on can be drawn from heating all stocks that are already in place. So uh, I already look into next winter. Are we going to get another really warm winter or you get a cold snap? And you're going into the build season at a pretty low level. So I'm still a little bit bullish on diesel. I'm surprised at the, the steep fall. And re- I mean, get relative to crude. So alongside of that, Donnie Gilbert's been talking a lot about the spread between retail and rack prices here these last few days. He's going to touch on that a little bit later on and I carry your updates. What are your thoughts there on how that's changing, how that market looks right now? I, I think that, that that's a market that always has a significant lag in it. Uh, and uh, when you get this kind of volatility, the, the lag just gets worse. The, the fact is retailers... Let's operate from the, the, the point that, first of all, the futures market and the wholesale markets do correlate very closely. Uh, and then you've got the retail market. And these swings have been so crazy and so wild that no retailers really have it in their mindset to react that quickly to price changes, whether they're up or they're down. Certainly not down. You know, they're going to try to hold their prices as high as possible as long as they can. But, you know, in, in sort of this, this bygone era, when a, a wholesale diesel price might move, you know, a few cents over a course of days, and now it might move eight or nine cents a day, retailers are just not equipped. I mean, they're physically equipped. They can change the sign, <laughs> change the price however easily they want, however readily they want. But they're just not of the mindset to change their prices that fast. So, yeah, that, that retail to rack price is going to be very volatile. And looking forward, other potential things to keep an eye on real quick. Uh, do you think that the re- China's uh, reopening post-COVID, ending of Lunar New Year, any of that extra consumption, uh, especially with their economic activity, you think that's going to just draw on Russian uh, stockpiles? Or do you think that may potentially move the needle in the global markets? Well, it doesn't matter where they draw it from because it's all one big world market. I mean, you, you mentioned Russia. We did have the ban on EU imports of Russian diesel and all, all products that went into effect over the weekend. We also have the price cap. This is going to be a little more interesting because the price of Russian diesel right now is above the price cap. So uh, we never really got that test in crude because the price of Russian crude was always well below the price cap. Now Russian diesel is above the price cap. So um, if you see the shipping companies, if you see the insurers steer away from taking that Russian crude, if if the shipper of it cannot guarantee that the price of it is below the cap, 
um, that's, that could potentially squeeze this market. That, that's another reason why I'm probably leaning a little more toward bullish. If, if anything, I think that the new Russian restrictions are bullish. I don't think they're going to go into effect as smoothly with uh, products as they did with crudes, but certainly not diesel. So, um, and then, you know, yeah, you throw in the pace of Chinese of Chinese increase. And I, I think that the, the case for uh, diesel bulls right now is stronger than for diesel bears. All right, John, thank you so much for joining us to talk about both of these topics. We can catch you drilling deep tomorrow afternoon. Any sneak peeks of what's up on the episode? Uh, I taped it so long ago, I got to remember what it was about. Uh, yeah, Sarah Chu, uh, she's a professor up the road at the University of Tennessee at Knoxville. Uh, just joined the logistics team up there. And this is going to sound like an old broken record, but she's been looking at blockchain and logistics, which I think the the uh, academic case for it is strong, given the capabilities of blockchain. The question is, is it ever going to become reality? And she's going to bring that, to, she's going to discuss that on Drilling Deep. All right, John, thank you so much for joining us. We can catch Drilling Deep tomorrow here, here on Freight Waves TV. We'll talk to you soon. Thank you.